Welcome to the 3v3 Podcast, your socially distanced hockey chat show. Here are your hosts, Cassie, Pat, and Patrick. So, not that anything has really gone on in the world, so let's talk more about Paul Maurice. When he is ready, what's his next job in hockey going to be? I think he is going to become a college coach. College, NCAA, college. or U Sports? Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of want to say he's going to stay in Canada, but uh, I think that yeah, I think that he'll just you know quietly. I don't want to say retire because being a head coach for a college program is still like a lot of work. But it's not as much work as managing egos in a locker room full of um, NHLers. So not necessarily anyway. Yeah, it has her own challenges. But um, but yeah, I think that I think that he's going to go with that because he's been he coached in one city for nine years, right? It's like most shelf lives for a head coach in the NHL is like five. And so if he goes to a college program, he gets to help kids or young adults, you know, get better. But he also has the stability of just staying there for likely as long as he wants to. So that's what I'm going with. I'm going with a front office. I think he becomes an executive with a team player development, something along those lines where he doesn't have to travel, where he's not on the hook for the immediate on-ice wins or losses, but somewhere that still allows him to attain potentially a Stanley Cup ring. I kind of did an Arrested Development thing there. Um <clears throat> Simply because I don't think he's done at the NHL level. I think he's got entirely too much experience under his belt at that level. Now, you bring up an interesting point, Cassie, about sort of the the tenured professor status of a collegiate head coach. Maybe. Maybe, but I think it'd have to be a top-tier program, you know. I, I think he'd have to Red Berenson. I think he'd, have, you know, it'd have to be something that he could be there for 20, you know, 25 years. St. Cloud State, you know, Michigan, Wisconsin, something like that. Ooh. Let me pose a question to you. Could he make a good replacement or be the next head coach of the Boston College Eagles, replacing Jerry York? And that's a little bit of what I was thinking, because I wasn't thinking the college route in, in, until the token female brought it up. <laughs> I'm ducking now. Ha, 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 ha. Um, <laughs> I wasn't, you know, I wasn't thinking collegiate route until then. And now that, that, you know, her diverse thinking, which is what we all need, 
kick me that way. That's that's kind of a program, you know, that'd be right up there. It'd have to be a banner program, right? It'd have to be something with stature. I don't think he's gonna want to take, um, you know, he's not in a position where he needs to take a massive step back, you know, a la somebody going from coaching the Toronto Maple Leafs to, you know, a Canadian university system team and then trying to get as many <sighs> puff pieces written about them afterwards to try and garner their way back to the NHL. But I think he's probably, he's always just struck me as a guy that does love the NHL level, but I do, that's an interesting, that's an interesting um, posit. Well, so here was, so it's interesting that, that, Patrick, you're thinking more in terms of ego, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of what am I, what is my value, what is worth my time, and I'm thinking more in terms of just, like, happiness. Where would he be the happiest at, I think? And after after Pat's um, story last week, I don't think that was uh, recorded, um, that's what started getting me thinking about, about, where would he be happiest? Would he be happiest at the NHL level, or is that just stroking his ego, right? I I think when we're talking about ego with him, I mean, they all have egos. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, everybody has you know, ego. It's, I'm right. not saying that, that his is overblown. I'm just saying I, that what is to, he basing his decision on? To satisfy his self-worth, right? And I think... To satisfy his self-worth and be happy, you have to find that balance between, you know, going so far the other way, you know, and and not to denigrate the Canadian college system, you know, (laughs) this is is totally one of those situations, you know, where you say, I don't mean to be rude, but, you know, and then you say something rude. (laughs) Um, I, th- I think there's a level of, I think there's a stature. There's there's a gravitas to some of those NCAA programs that, you know, that would fill that, it's the balance, right? That would fill that one side, that need to be, you know, the best of something and the best of something, right? I am the best at this in the world's best you know, competition for this. And I think U.S. colleges would probably be a better fit for him. But it, like I said, it'd have to be, you know, like Maine or the Eagles, you know. If you get, you know, get somebody in there like Paul Maurice to, to stay there. But that also sub, that also supposes that he knows how to recruit legally. <laughs> <laughs> That's what assistant coaches are for. <laughs> Yeah, they can just throw they just throw his name around, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, we've got you know this NHL is... veteran Paul Maurice. Mm-hmm. So, I was immediately wondering, doing some quick googling. One barrier to entry for an NCAA coach is you actually have to have a degree from a certified university. Given that Maurice was a hockey man, could we get? A made-for-streaming series, back to school, starring Paul Maurice, <laughs> Paulie D, Tony Granado, 
he gets to be coach while taking a degree program at the same time. Cause I, I do honestly think him in higher learning, I think he would love that. Not necessarily the, uh, busy work and the red tape that comes along with completing a degree program, but him taking university classes would be fascinating for me. Oh my God, that would be hysterical. So, I mean, that might be his new job, uh, you know, uh, the um, subject in the documentary. Oh my God, that would be hysterical because he is a cut up. In press conferences, so you know those those sit alone interviews, you know. And my professor said I wasn't, you know, doing this, and they and they smash cut to, you know, him doing that in the classroom or something. And oh my god, that'd be hysterical. Yeah, I am all over it. So oh. yeah. Um, not to. I'll give a quick answer here. Not to just besmirch the uh, wonderful city of uh, Winnipeg. That comes later. Um, I don't see him long for that city. He's Sault Ste. Marie born, I believe, during his uh, very, very, very brief downtime, you know, in between gigs. He's always uh, kind of retreated to Ontario. Not so much looking for a full-time position, more like an adjunct professor just popping in from time to time. I could see him being a coach for various Team Canada programs that aren't, you know, the world championships. or Consultant. Consultant or maybe not even on the men's side. Like, I think he could be a very interesting uh, under-20s male coach. I could see him working within the women's game. I could see him being a PHF coach. I could see him working with, you know, I don't know that he'd work with a national program, but let's since it's in the news, I could see him being a U18 women's coach, head coach, assistant coach, what have you. Yeah, it's because they – I could see it He wouldn't have to do any work. Into, yeah, just yeah, jump into, just yeah. yeah, but yeah. just jump into just here's a short gig, something that doesn't require twelve months out of the year, scratches an itch, and maybe at the same time he he has one of those cushy consultant jobs that gets him a Stanley Cup ring for the NHL so, organization. Here's a here's the tricky thing with that is that you know as Patrick was saying all of our decisions are based on a little bit of ego, right? It's like some things people look at, it's like, that's beneath me. I'm not doing that, right? And not in a bad way, just in a, I have reached this certain level and I feel like that's a step back or that's a step below where I want to be. Um, <clears throat> and being a woman, I can tell you from experience that a lot of men find going from something that is male-dominated to female-dominated as demeaning and beneath them. So I don't know what Paul Maurice's stance is on women's hockey. I'm not saying that he would do that, but 
It is a common response to a lot of men, particularly if they have reached a certain level of um, notoriety, let's say, <laughs> popularity. Uh, and so there are men who have gone from the NHL into coaching in the what, PFH, P, PHF, <laughs> Professional Hockey Federation, PHF. Um, <clears throat> As a matter of fact, there are a couple of, of PHF head coaches that used to be NHLers. Um, but so far, we haven't seen any NHL coaches make that transition to the women's game. Paul doesn't strike me as somebody that, is, and I'll just cut to the chase, anybody that thinks that coaching, you know, going from men's program to women's program is beneath them is just an insecure little baby um and he doesn't he doesn't strike me as someone like that whereas um he who shall remain nameless that used to coach the the maple leafs before he was excommunicated does mm -hmm. you know that's that's someone whose ego is not backed up by anything um and those are generally, you know, that's generally an indicator of a very, very insecure person. Um, Paul doesn't strike me that way. I don't, I, I, and you know, I, this is just all, you know, all we ever can base anything on is just sort of how they behave in the press and, you know, what they choose to project. Um, very rarely do you get a glimpse inside and, you know, sometimes the interviews and so forth, but. Outside looking in. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Just even in some of the things, you know, when they did the whole bubble. Um, well, I mean, let's just take a look at what he did recently. Guy resigned. So, you know, that that shows to me a level of emotional maturity that isn't present in some of these other guys. So I don't, you know, maybe I'm projecting, um, but many, many years of therapy have turned me into a therapist. So... <laughs> You know, I'm looking for clues where I can find them. Mm -hmm. um, I, you know, Jesus Christ. I, I mean, I'm not saying I, if he did, if that was something he was interested in, then, you know, good for him. I, I have nothing. I, I mean, I'm just saying that, you know, the majority of men in sports. Well, the, the guy who used to quote the Maple Leafs wouldn't do it. Right. Right. You know, I mean, how many? It's it's a smaller. I think I think I think what we're saying is basically it's a smaller number of guys. It's a smaller number of men who would have no problem doing it. That you know, it's like single digit percentile of those in hockey mm -hmm. would not see it as you know something like oh I gotta go coach the women's you know. Oh, that, right. that's good. That means you get Christmas off because you know they can't allow them to play. Well, no, no, there is no World Juniors for women, so so that doesn't matter. There, There's only under 18, and then there's the women's program. There is no World Junior equivalent for women's hockey. There's no anything equivalent for women's hockey because they don't ever let them play anything, except the Olympics. Because everything else they won't fund if, if times get too tough. Yeah, it's the whole it's the whole uh, circular thinking of well, nobody watches women's hockey, so we're not giving them money, but we're not putting money towards women's hockey because nobody watches them. Yet, if you look at every other women's sport, 
that is starting to be televised on actual networks people have heard of on traditional, you know, cable, let's just say, um, or even network TV. Uh, they're, they're doing record numbers. And, oh, I don't know. If you put things out there, people will watch them. No one's expecting anything new to mirror the NFL in their stupid numbers because of the scarcity of their product, but create something not new. Not even the put lingerie, it on TV. Not even the lingerie league could do NFL numbers. And that was geared specifically towards NFL audiences. <laughs> yeah, don't get me started on that. I wasn't not <laughs> trying to because you don't want to get so, that either. Yeah. Yeah. We're not going there. Well, at least there's only going to be one real um, hockey tournament to focus on this February, and that's the women's tournament in the Olympics. Assuming that they're going to go because, you know, they're not any stupider than the men. <laughs> well, they're still they're still the IHF and um, these uh, governing bodies like Team Canada and USA Hockey who are filled with a bunch of morons. So you're right. The uh, um, Ontario Women's Hockey Association League. Uh, tweeted out last night that it's like, you know, well, we're more than happy to, to host the under 18s for women's, you know, the women's tournament. Um, and then someone out of Sweden, I'm not sure how, if they're part of the Swedish like uh, women's program or not, were like, you know, we seem to be doing just fine here. We'll host them. You know, so it's really an IIHF begging that, you know, begging that they're poor, saying, oh, we can't do this. We're... So so here's the thing, is that should, the, should World Juniors be going on right now? Probably not, but they're still going on. And it's the fact that the women are being treated differently from the men that's the problem, not the fact that that the men are playing, so the women should play because it's hockey versus COVID kind of stuff. So, you know, if if World Juniors was not going on, then yeah, okay, cancel the women's tournaments. But because World Juniors is going on, they don't have a leg to stand on to cancel the women's tournaments. So it's like, it should be all the same for everybody and not picking and choosing because that kind of looks really bad. Uh, they don't mind looking bad, obviously. They've done it two years in a row. Mm-hmm. I think there should be a spin-off group that the that women's hockey shouldn't fall under IIHF anymore. Because clearly they don't care. I think not. Oh, God. I don't think any hockey should fall under the IIHF. Well, yeah. Because that organization has continued to prove itself as completely useless. Yep. Poor, poor man's FIFA. At least FIFA puts out interesting products, be it, despite being corrupt, garbage pit of humanity. They're the, in my opinion, there's the the triumvirate of the most corrupt uh, polit- political sports bodies in the world is FIFA, IOC, and the NCAA. 
And which one is the worst is, depends on, each, on a given day. <laughs> the IHF wishes they were up in that, but they're not, so. At least they have a decent rule book. That's the only thing they have going for them. And that's, that's not much to write home about. I was going to say because that's they that they they didn't have much to do with the rule book. <laughs> exactly. Although there's still no body checking in women's hockey, that's part of their rule book. Technically. Well, I mean, you know, I'm not saying it's well, well, physical, well. obviously, but but like you know, body checking. Body checking and body contact are two very distinct things, and right. the amount of meatheads in North Car- uh, North Carolina, North America, who can't <laughs> get that through their skulls. Um, I gotta say, a couple weeks ago, I was playing in a you know a rec league game, and I could tell there were some players that knew how to play contact because someone tried to stand me up as I was skating with the puck. In a contact game, I would have been ed- eligible to be checked. But we don't because we no one's willing to pay those insurance premiums. And a guy tried to throw a check on me, and it felt nice because I threw him right to the ground. Anywho, um, the women know how to take contact, and the men don't. That's my point. Because um, the men barely know how to throw checks anymore, as evident by some of the things that happened in that um Hockey league that is sometimes televised in North America that, I don't know, kind of went dormant for a while. I forget what they're called. Anywho. Yeah, they can't take checks either. That's the thing. It's like they can't, they don't know how to give them and they don't know how to take them. Because mm-hmm. how many guys come up swinging if they get a hard, clean check? <laughs> it's like, he didn't hit you wrong. He just hit you hard. That's the problem. <laughs> And soon, I think in minor hockey or lower levels of hockey, they've probably taken checking out of the game too early. And so we have that, oh, your head, you're too used to playing with your head down at a formative age. And when you're the most, the fastest or most talented at a certain age and no one can skate with you, uh, you never learn to adapt or to adjust to those things. Thus why the um, minor leagues in North America are garbage. Well, and then, of course, you know, what we were saying, it's like nobody coaches after a certain level. So it's not like anyone's getting no, right. any further instruction as they're going right. along. It's like, okay, so I saw you throwing checks and you're – you're a little sloppy. Let me clean you up. You know, this is how you should be doing it. Keep your elbow in, blah, blah, blah. But, um, so yeah, that's, that's a problem. Yeah. It's all tech, all tactic and strategy. That's apparently what coaching is not teaching. Well, yeah, like we said, at a certain level, you're done teaching because they, you know, we don't want them to develop skills or anything. We just want them to develop in the system. And that's why the same 35 egos work in the NHL and, you know, hopefully someone like, I was going to say someone like Paul Maurice, who, yes, does have an ego, but hopefully in a different way can uh, maybe want to teach. 
and why women's hockey and why women's hockey will eventually be a better product because women are women aren't really brought up in a system they kind of have to figure it out on their own a lot of in a lot of cases and so when they get to a place where coaches can coach them then they're actually coaching mm-hmm. so in women's hockey there's actually coaching that's going on but there isn't so much in men's hockey because they have a system. This is how it's supposed to work. This is how everyone's supposed to play. In women's hockey, they don't have that because it's not funded. <laughs> so everybody has to figure things out on their own. And they, to the detriment of the game as a whole, but those same women, they have to bounce around a lot, and that gets them exposed to many different coaches and many different teams and many different regions. Whether you're talking about going to a prep school after playing on a, you know, co-ed team team when you're, you know, upwards of 12 to 14 years old and then you probably play on some select girls team, women's team up to a certain age, then you look at prep school, then NCAA. And that's assuming you your parents have the money to go to go that route. Yes. You know, because a lot of women I mean, so women's hockey right now is probably the equivalent of where the men's game was, say, in the 40s or 50s, where the men still had to work other jobs because they weren't getting paid a lot. They, They still had to find their own, you know, ways of learning the game, um, that sort of thing. And so, you know, if, if, a lot of people compare women's hockey right now to men's hockey right now, and that's not a fair comparison because men's well, hockey has been fully funded for how long now? Well, they're they're a hundred years behind. Right. Uh, you know, at the at what we would consider an organized professional level. I mean, there have been professional women's leagues, you know, on and off throughout history, but as sort of the centralized, you know, we're we're at the we're at the um, you know, early 1916, 1917 phase of women's hockey, you know, multiple okay. leagues that are fighting for each other, you know, fighting against each other. And because this owner doesn't like that owner or this, you know, commissioner doesn't like that commissioner, yada, yada, yada. Um, you know, and, until somebody pulls the whole, you know, we're going to disband this league and form a new one over here without this person, I, you know, who knows? But yeah, they're 100 years behind. And it's sad because the athletes are a hundred years ahead. Mm-hmm. The organization's a hundred years behind, but yeah. the athletes, well, I wouldn't even say a hundred years ahead. I mean, women do have the same, do have access to similar training that men do. But again, it comes down to money, how much money you have, how much, you know, you're getting supported by other like funding streams, you know, that sort of thing. So there's still women who are playing professional hockey who just are paying on their own, figuring things out, you know, and are stuck, say, watching video to figure out what they need to do rather than being able to hire a coach or, you know, hire a trainer or, you know, that kind of stuff. So, so it, it's still really uneven in that respect. Um, Cause you know, Professional men's hockey, everybody has access to the same stuff, regardless, uh, pretty universally. Um, women's hockey, it's very uneven. 
So, and that's why, that's why like things like under 18 tournaments are so important, right? Because you have to have, you don't necessarily have access to certain, some people don't have access to certain things, to certain opportunities or um, resources or whatever. But if you're in the national program, that kind of levels, you know, the playing field a bit and you get more attention and you can work on things that you need to do and that gets you further up the ladder. And if you don't have the opportunity to play against, you know, girls of your own caliber and your own age, then, you know, where's the women's program going to be, the Olympic program going to be in like five years? Not only your own age, but your own um, environment, for lack of a better term. You know, your own, uh, your equal footing isn't, you know, also comes in training, also comes in coaching, also comes in skill development and, you know, mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, and, and funding for, you know, it's a, it's a big, huge difference, you know, touring around the U.S. in the back of a station wagon, you know, schlepping your stuff in and out of Motel 6s versus, you know, at least getting a bus that, you know, can haul you around and a couple people to help. So, you know, when there's equity amongst all the countries, I guess, in the women's programs for that kind of stuff, we'll see a truly more equal, equal footing, but there's still ways to go. And they just continue to prove that they don't care by doing stuff like this. Which is why women are always, well, for a while anyways, are going to be having to figure things out on their own. Because that's what we've always done. <laughs> you know, It's like not a lot has, there are professional women's leagues now, but not a lot has changed since when I played because, you know, I don't, we didn't have, the closest women's program for me was in Seattle, and that was an hour and a half drive, and I didn't think that was worth it, and so we created our own program in Tacoma until I aged out of it. But, you know, I mean, it, we you, just you figured it uh, out on our own. <laughs> you didn't do a very good job of creating it if you could age yourself out of it. <laughs> <laughs> I know I, I didn't I didn't have enough of a background in well I mean you know this was also pre-internet days um, and so I didn't have enough of a background in in how USA hockey operated or the fact that we even had to be um, I don't want to say a part of but we had to we had to register as a as an organization with oh USA boy. hockey here here we go. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, let's just put a quarter in Pat and watch him run away for an hour. Ugh, why? <laughs> why do we create these stupid barriers where a single entity dictates how everything works? Like, why can't we just create an offshoot without the involvement of a national governing body? Other sports do that. I get what you're saying with this, but if the uh, centralized governing body is set up in a better way, 
then it's actually more beneficial because it's, it, it distributes resources more universally in a more equitable way than if you have if you leave it up to individual groups here and there to figure it out on their own. But USA hockey sucks, so that of course yeah. goes out the window. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, <laughs> so, and I, I agree with that point one hundred percent. But USA. The John Van Riesbrook of governing bodies. So uh, I, I, let me let me bring this to an analogy that you'll probably be a little bit more comfortable with. How many times did you buy a Sony product and then wish you hadn't because of their proprietary connection and or storage devices? <sighs> yeah, you can thank the yeah. IEEE as much as the IEEE drives everyone nuts. Um, you know, and as as a as a member of the IEEE and somebody that has sat on a couple of, so it's all your fault. <laughs> well, no, um, I had nothing to do with 1394, aka FireWire. I got there after it had been made. <laughs> I had got there after it had been made, basically an optional spec, where everything was optional, and so nobody implemented anything. Um, the governing body needs to have a clear set of parameters of what is and isn't in their purview. And I don't believe, um, I don't, I believe USA hockey has been given too much power, you know, yeah. centralized standards for competition and rules and, um, player safety and coaches, you know, that's all, well and good. I think we can all agree on that. It's the other crap that the USA Hockey has been given control over that I think is what's infuriating. It shouldn't take hundreds of dollars for a first-time volunteer to get involved and learn how to coach. Bingo. It shouldn't take me having to live in a part of the country where I can manufacture ice outside in my backyard for two months to train my kid. But that is how USA Hockey views itself. They, they're archaic. And, I mean, you know, they haven't modernized their thinking ever. You know, I mean, they're basically yes. still operating off of what 1970s kind of maybe 1960s kind of mentality. Yes, just like Jersey designers in Vancouver. <clears throat> no, in Winnipeg. And great, yeah, great looking looks. I, I just gotta get this out. Great looking looks, but I cannot read your logos. Uh, modernize those. Keep the color schemes. Thank you. <laughs> Was that the shortest tangent in the history of the program? Probably. Mm -hmm. I'll hang up and listen. <laughs> um, what else was I going to say? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, you are. That's that's the problem with centralizing a standards committee, essentially, is that at some point it becomes what it doesn't want to be. <laughs> mm -hmm. you know, Unless that, you dictate that you got to rotate people out. I don't even think rotating people out. Is, oh, not at this point would solve the issue, but no, it has I mean, to be even, there from the on onset. Even early on, because they're designed to never evolve, yet people try to evolve them, 
and the more they evolve, the more they control, and the more they control, the less they become what they were, you know, the the intent was. There's a was, lot of politicking going on involved too, because people want to main petty small people want to maintain power over what they have, and they think that maintaining that power means keeping everything exactly the same for as long as physically possible. Oh, the fiefdoms, the fiefdoms are wrought anywhere, but it's, I, I'm not even getting into the, to the, the human aspect of it. It's literally just the entity itself is designed to, the entity itself is designed um, to become monolithic and cumbersome just simply over time. Mm-hmm. Because everything else around it evolves, but it, by definition, it, it shouldn't. You know, mm-hmm. and and as everything evolves around it, the less the need for that central standard committee, you know, is there. So by by necessity, they attempt to continue to put their little grubby mitts everywhere else to make themselves still relevant. Anyway, that's enough of my metaphysics and horseradish bullshit. <clears throat> yes, I just wore. I'm in a mood today. <laughs> Blame it's it on the snow. To... Yeah, you know, we've got probably a good five inches right now, which I'm fine with. I don't have to go to work this week. So working from home is for right? <clears throat> no, I'm still off on vacation. Um hey, really quick, I just I thought I'd share this one with you guys. Um in my in my uh Patrick's video game corner. Um I started, I finished season one with my Seattle Kraken expansion franchise. And yes, I did take them from the expansion draft, which means I drafted all of the players. I did not use the roster. It was handed to me. And yes, I did take Carey Price. Um, we, uh, my lovely team, I then traded for one Dylan Larkin and one Mackenzie Weger. And we managed to um, finish first in the Western Conference with 104 points. And promptly got bounced in the first round of the playoffs. So I decided to trade one carry price. And tell me if this doesn't sound like a hockey deal. <laughs> carry price a second. or a, Yeah, a second in 2025. And a prospect. And a third in 2023. For Carter Hart and Travis Konechny. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think you have enough pieces for the AI to accept it. And it did. And that AI is obviously modeled after Cliff Fletcher. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but the only problem, well, he still sees goaltending as a problem, so I just gave him, you know. Uh, but you know the problem. Uh, Cliff's son probably wouldn't accept the trade. Uh-oh. Wasn't dealing with them, but I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, I, I thought it was rather humorous, and I only had to throw in the uh, the AHL prospect slash player just to get the roster numbers to work, the contract numbers, or else they would have taken the deal straight up. <laughs> With with Carey Price and two picks for Carter Hart and Travis Konechny. And I'm just like, I, you guys just bought, like, I think it's, 
I, I cleared three and a half million dollars in salary and got two players. <laughs> so both of whom were younger. So yay me. Um, <laughs> I just thought that was, you know, one of those deals that was like, yeah, you know, you could totally see somebody doing it and that somebody would be Philadelphia because, you know, however bad they've been this season, they're still wanting, you know, there are still people wanting to blame Carter Hart and management because he's not played well when you look at his numbers. Yes, he has. <laughs> oh, that market needs an Ed Snyder back so, so much. A little bit, yeah. And honestly, every market could use someone like that who can stay out of the way from time to time, but doesn't let things get too stagnant. It's, it's somebody that picks a lane. Yes. You know? And always manages to keep his organization relevant. Yeah. And interesting. Good is, you know, it's relative, but always being interesting and wanting to stay engaged. Hmm. It's a novel concept. Yeah, I know. I mean, not just be bland and boring and and um, do nothing. But enough about Chuck Fletcher's teams. <laughs> oh. Yoink! Like, just it was lane. right there. You, you you brought up his dad, who was true. could pick a lane. He did not pass that quality on to his son. Apparently, no. you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <sighs> okay. So I have a yeah. question. If we're ready for that. Yeah. Uh, I I think we are. Right. Before I get too personal. Oh no! Wait, let's let me wait then. <laughs> oh well, okay. If you're not one, I think he's done. All right. Um. So, a couple days ago, this is being recorded on the day after Christmas or Boxing Day for so many people. Um. A couple days ago on Twitter, I had retweeted this uh, bit of video about Ken Griffey Jr breaking down his swing in a very technical and mechanical manner. <clears throat> and I retweeted it as, you know, why do we not see hockey players do this? Like with wrist shots, for example. So that brings me to my question. If you could pick three to five hockey players, the only requirement is they must still be alive. They can be any level, any gender, any league, whatever, to talk about the technicalities and or mechanics of playing hockey. Who would they be? Roundtable style. Should it be of their specialty in the game of hockey? Could be. I'm leaving that okay. wide open to everybody. This has been the 3B3 Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at 3v3podcast. We're available for NHL consulting at reasonable fees.